mindfulness mode. Keep showing up. And, and, and I think over time you start to learn that your practice, your heart, your mind can, can hold anything. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Well, Mindful Tribe, we talk about meditation. We talk about all different aspects of mindfulness. I'm here today with your go-to guide for meditation. I'm here with Mark Van Buren. Mark, are you in Mindfulness Mode today? Uh, I am in very much mindfulness mode, at least right now. <laughs> well, that I'm doesn't surprise now. me, that's for sure, because you've had lots of experience <laughs> with meditation and your two books that I have here beside me are fantastic. And uh, I just really appreciate having a chance to talk to you. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Mark? Oh, good question. Mindfulness. I mean, it's a fancy word now that's thrown around, you know, yeah. and I, I kind of make the joke in one of my books and it's not even a joke, but there's a, a cardboard cutout uh, for this pistachio display at the grocery store. And it has a woman with her hands over her head in prayer, which I don't even know what that is. And it says the mindful nut, you know, <laughs> it's like, what, what are you trying to sell me? I'm very confused. You know? Um, so there's a, you know, there's a, there's so much out there with mindfulness. And, you know, for me, I break it down into five, five, Things. And you can go obviously much further than this. You could have a whole course, you know, a whole month, month, two month, three month course on mindfulness. But I like to just break it down into these five simple things. So first, that's an intentional paying attention, right? So we 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 have to actually want to be where we are and want to look, and it's intentionally bringing that attention to the present moment experience. Um, without judgments, without expectations. That doesn't mean no discernment, right? If somebody's like, you know, abusing you, it's not like, let me just mindfully, you know, watch, you know, it's okay. There has to be some discernment. This is unskillful. This is unwholesome. This is unsafe. Um, but, you know, as far as like meditation or, you know, is concerned, we want to have no expectations, no judgments, dropping the storyline, and just coming into that direct experience. And the one word I like is the immediacy. You know, I know in, in the Zen world, they use that a lot, immediacy. So <clears throat> intentionally coming into the present moment without judgments, without the storyline, uh, with a sense of warmth. And I think this is really important part uh, and important part of it um, because we're not cold as we watch. We're not like coldly, if that's even a word, observing ourselves we're, we're observing with care we're observing because we care and we're kind of holding the moment in compassion right then the fourth part is curiosity this is really important as far as you know really attaining you know some degree of freedom in your life because you have to become curious you know like we might say oh i have anxiety but maybe we've never even looked at it we've never even paused and said well where do i feel it what is it is it as bad as I think, right? Uh, or is it just maybe a very unpleasant energy or I don't like use the word energy, it's a little new agey, but uh, you know, that's kind of what it is, is a, a very unpleasant like energy in the body that is in contraction and then that'll slowly dissolve. So it's like, how long does it last? What is this? What, what thoughts are going through my head? You know, so we have to have this level of curiosity. Um, and then the fifth part is just the willingness to be here, 
I think that's so important because if you look at the suffering in our lives, it, it really boils down to something's wrong or something's missing, right? And, and what is that really saying? I don't want to be here, right? What I have is not what I want or I don't have something in this moment that I, that I think I need to have in order to feel happy or safe or secure or whatever, right? So it's basically that intentional paying attention without judgment, with a, a sense of warmth and friendliness, curiosity, and just a willingness to, to be right here with life as it is. Well, I love your explanation, and it makes it very <laughs> clear and easy to understand. And that's what I found from your book. You are very approachable. It's just so much fun reading a little chapter in your book because you just feel like it's just so delicious. It's just so easy to read and digest a, a little chapter because your chapters are fairly short and yet really personable, really just telling a little story or something like that. And before I dig into your books, I just want to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit more about you and your two books. Uh, the first one that I have, A Fool's Guide to Actual Happiness. And then the one that you wrote more, more recently is called Your Life is Meditation. And I was going to say Mark Van Buren is your go-to guide for all meditation and mindfulness-based training. And I said that at the beginning. With well over a decade of experience in the field, Mark instructs meditation workshops, lectures, professional development days, corporate wellness classes, and silent retreats in a practical yet accessible way. And he offers simple tools and practices that can reduce stress, help with anxiety and depression, manage pain, transform the many difficult aspects of life. And he holds a bachelor's degree in religious studies and in recent years has become a best-selling author. So Mindful Tribe, you might want to get your hands on one of these books because they're both excellent. And uh, I was going to talk about a couple of the little stories that you shared. One, when you went to the silent retreat and you decided to go for a little stroll and you had a sign around your neck that said, please don't talk to me. And <laughs> then tell us what happened in your own words. It was really quite interesting. Oh my God, that was a that was an interesting uh, retreat. So I was at a, a point in my life where I thought I needed to meditate longer, harder. <clears throat> I needed to attain this Buddhahood or enlightenment or have this like oneness experience that would somehow solve my life. I mean, and and this is really where my book, Your Life Is Meditation, kind of you know that's where it came from because there was such an intense gap between what I thought my daily life was and my spiritual life. Um, so I was like, you know what, these retreats that I'm going on, they're not hard enough. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to make my own retreat and I'm going to make it really intense. And by the end of the five days, I'll, I'm surely going to be enlightened and all will be well. I'll be compassionate all the time. I'll be happy all the time. I won't have to deal with these things I don't like. And I mean, that's a load of hoo-ha, you know, yeah. like nobody, not, nobody can save you from life. I mean, and there's no like technique or method or amount of meditation. I mean, life is just what it is uh, and there's nothing that's going to save you from it. Um, took me a long time to learn that though. But this was one of those situations where, you know, I was taking it way too seriously. And I thought, you know, I know how to attain this enlightenment or experience and I'm going to go really hard. 
So I set it all up at this retreat center. They gave me a sign. I, I don't know exactly what it said. I think it said like silent or something like, you know, don't talk or something, <laughs> something to let other retreatant or retreatants know that, you know, don't talk to this guy. He's on a silent personal retreat. So they had showed me a path, you know, when I first got there to do some walking meditation or just a little hike if I wanted to. It, was, it wasn't very big, um, but it was, you know, a fairly simple path. So when I went later on in the evening to take a break from the intense sitting that I was forcing myself to do, I was out there on the hike and, you know, it's starting to get dark and I'm like, why am I not back yet? I was just so confused. So I must have, you know, mindfully got very lost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I ended up, you know, deep in the woods. It was getting dark. It was the colder months. I don't remember. Maybe it was like October, November, but it was getting, it was getting chilly. And, you know, I had just a little coat on, a black coat, black gloves, black pants, a sign around my neck that said silent or whatever it said. And I was completely lost in the woods. And, um, you know, I tried a, a house and I almost got attacked by the dog, which was scary. But, you know, the a woman answered the door and she was like kind of like nervous. I mean, I'd be nervous too. someone wearing what I was wearing in the, the middle of the woods. And she's like, oh, try my neighbor. I don't know that place, you know, because I was like, where's this retreat center at? And she's like, I don't know. So I went to the other house. Nobody answered. There was a big dog in that house, too. Uh, luckily, I didn't have to meet that one. So I went back and then I guess the teenage daughter had answered the door and I'm like, listen, I'm back. I'm very lost. Can you please help me? So she said, well, you know, do you have the phone number? And I said, no, this is my first time here. So she went up, got the phone number. She let me use the phone. I called. But at that time, everyone was in puja, which is like their prayer time or their meditation prayer time. So nobody answered the phone at the retreat center. So I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then the woman just said, you know, why don't you just call the police? So we had to call the police. They showed up, two officers in one car, and they were questioning me. They wanted my, you know, license, uh, which I didn't have. And they, you know, put me in the back, the back seat of the car and <laughs> eventually drove me back. I showed them my license and, and I was on my way. And luckily everyone was still in Puja, so nobody saw the police car pull up <laughs> and, and drop me off. But, you know... It really taught me the, uh, a valuable lesson, you know, like don't like I take it seriously and, and, you know, have your discipline and take it, you know, seriously. But, you know, with a light heart, I think that was the teaching for me was like, listen, you don't need to push this hard. There's no special experience you need to have. It's really about how are you relating to this experience right now? You know, and no matter how many retreats I went on, how blissed out I got, how, you know, I still came back to my ordinary life that had confusion, that had difficulty, that had frustrating people and situations. So it's like, no matter how high on the mountaintop you go, you still have to come back down to the village and live your ordinary life, you know? And yeah. that's where most of your time's gonna be spent. And I'm not downplaying retreat because you get a new perspective to live that ordinary life, uh, maybe a, a little more depth. But at the end of the day, you're still the same. You're still the same neurotic uh, <laughs> person, you know that that you 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 were when you left. You yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of when life doesn't go right, I loved your analogy about raking leaves, and you were raking, and the wind was blowing the leaves all over the place. Tell Mindful Tribe about your analogy to 
mind meditation to uh, raking leaves. Right. So that was, uh, you know, when my grandfather was alive, we were helping him uh, rake the leaves and, you know, we'd rake a pile and then the, the wind would blow and then more <laughs> would just fall. It's like, and it's in the same spot. And, you know, so we kept raking and raking and raking, but I did it joyfully. And, and it was really for me, like, you know, every day we have a new day, right? Every moment's a new moment. And it's not about getting rid of the leaves forever, right? The leaves will come and go. And, and for me, the leaves meant like my neuroses, my conditioned reactivity, like that, all that stuff is going to arise. My personality is still going to be my personality. You know, um, they always say the personality doesn't get enlightened. And I, I find that to be true. I still have generally the same personality type that I did 13 years ago. I mean, I have a lot more freedom now. Uh, I definitely live for very different things and very different values. And I have freed myself from a lot of neurotic patterns that no longer serve me, but I still am the same kind of goofy, you know, kind of guy and uh, still have the same types of things. And I feel like, you know, every day you just got to, you know, rake those leaves in your mind and, and in your experience and, you know, make your little neat pile and maybe you get the grass exposed for a while and then, you know, some blow back and, you know, with the leaves, you know, eventually the, the tree runs out of leaves. So eventually your pile, you know, of leaves on the grass gets less and less and less. Um, but of course then, you know, then the next year comes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's always something so, yet you know, to come. A, I think the analogy is, is partially just like a realistic view of this practice, because for me personally, I fell into such a, like, I don't know, airy fairy kind of happy ending type of thing, you know, uh, as Jack Cornfield would say, enlightened retirement, or he calls it something like that. Um, you know, uh, but like his book, uh, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry, right? So yes, you might have some deep experiences that can very well transform your life, but you still got to go back to that ordinary life and you got to clean up the mess over and over again and work with your conditioning over and over again. And some days are, are great and you, you get that, you know, clear lawn and other days it's still kind of messy after you rake yeah. it. Some days, and some days it's like somebody just purposely came and dumped all their leaves on your, your lawn, you know? Yeah. And speaking of messy, wow. You just have such a great way of communicating and making this come home. You, you talked about your messiness with dishes and you just hated doing dishes <laughs> and to the point that when you're, I think it was when you were in college, you would just have the same plate and you just kind of rinse it off and use that so that you didn't end up with a pile of dishes. Uh, that was so funny. Tell us about the dishes and how that changed for you, dishwashing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, you know, just cleaning dishes was never my thing. I was very lucky to have a mom that did, did a lot for me, maybe a little too much for me, made me a little bit uh, lazy or entitled <laughs> to have someone else do it. So every time I would go on a retreat, I'd end up being either the dishwasher or the bathroom cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, on retreat, everything is supposed to be practiced. Well, honestly, in life, everything is supposed to be practiced. That's why I love this practice. It's not like, you know, I grew up Catholic and it was just like church on Sunday. Yes. And, so be, be nice for an hour, dress nice, you know, and then like, you know, I'd be around people that are acting all nice and sweet and talking about God and everything. And then later that week, they're just like 
horribly racist yeah. or like uh just like not not nice you know yes. not not living in line so it's like and not that that's not in there that's in the tradition it's just when we were taught it was more about the forms you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't about the inner nourishment and and the the practicality of it, at least you know my experience at the time um so how did i get on that oh the just the practicality of it and um what was the story that you were asking? Well, about? we're talking about right. washing dishes and how, oh, how yes, that's yes, changed for you. you now. Yes, yes. Sorry, I get so excited about this stuff. I lose track. Um, so, yeah, so everything is practice. And, you know, part of the joy that you get from this practice um, is not from feeling a certain way. It's not from getting what you want. Right. It's, it's learning to let go of that, you know, and just learning to appreciate life as it is. And and, you know, as I began to practice, I was like, all right, let me make this a practice. I'm here to practice, like stop complaining about it, stop making it wrong or bad, you know, like just mindfully wash the dishes. So, you know, I made it a practice. I felt my feet on the, the ground. I you know, heard the sounds of the water. I felt the warmth of the water and the slipperiness of the soap. And I know it sounds so silly, like, okay, well, you're just experiencing yourself washing dishes, but exactly, that's exactly what I did. And it, and by doing that, it just became what it was, just washing dishes. And you could find joy in that. You could find ease in that. And you can do it and just, you know, it's just, that's your life. When you're washing dishes or whatever you're doing in this moment, that's your life. There's nothing else in the entire universe except you just washing those dishes. And so to appreciate that form of life, you know, (laughs) in that moment. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I found that you can really transform a lot of things that you don't like when you start letting go of you know, having to like them. It's not, I'm not saying you have to like it. I don't necessarily like washing the dishes, but I can do it and I can do it with ease and I can do it mindfully and I can make it a practice to cultivate my mind to be a certain way. Yeah, you know, that's to, a big transition, isn't it? <laughs> right, yeah. right. Mark, I know you work with autistic children. Tell us the connection between mindfulness and working with those who have autism. And you kind of talked about it in the book and how you learned from that. Right. Yeah. That I had worked with them for, for many years, but I stopped, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. Um, but you know, it, it really, there's so much, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of where I can even just one thing. I mean, one thing that I, that I really saw the connection with was just working with behavior, you know, and the way that we were taught in our, training with the particular school that I was working with um, was no, you know, negative reinforcement. We didn't want to like punish them, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, we didn't want to positively reinforce it. um, The bad behavior I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Sorry, let me clear that up. Um, So it was kind of just like be with them until that behavior starts to end, you know? So it's like, if they were, let's say trying to harm you or something, you just, you'd have to do a little restriction, obviously, so you don't get hurt, but you're not like yelling at them because some, sometimes some of the children uh, actually kind of liked, I don't want to say liked, but that they got the attention that they wanted from 
from negative behavior. Or they kind of so feed off feed, it. Right. So we didn't want to feed that. And obviously we're not going to reward that type of behavior. So we kind of had to just mindfully be there right. and just calmly breathe with them. And, and then when they finally, you know, were able, you know, to calm down or that, that behavior passed, then we could get them to do something else and then reward that behavior, you know? And I find it, you know, with all of the, the problems that I experienced, the difficulties I experienced, you know, at first it was like, how do I get rid of this? <laughs> you know, it's like, let me go to therapy. Let me meditate more. Let me go to spiritual teachers because I don't want this anymore, yeah. you know? And that, that's not the, the way. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about your experience or your listeners, but I, you know, every time I tried to do something like that, it would just get worse, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, what, well, you know, well, you like resist persists, you know, that saying, uh, I find it to be very true, but to just be mindfully there with it. And this is such a hard concept for us here in the West to understand. And people I work with privately one-on-one, -on -one, like you're, we're not doing these teachings to get rid of it. Like if I say to you, you know, when you're feeling anxious, take some breaths and relax your body. It's not, you know, it's not taking breaths and relaxing the body to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. to make it go away. It's so that you can relax into it and experience it consciously and fully and, and become intimate with it and, and get to know it, you know? So um, that was definitely one of the uh, correlations I saw with our practice and, and just behavior training, you know? Yeah. I'm so happy to be already working with a number of listeners as a mindfulness life coach and hypnotist. You might have heard of someone who's lost weight or quit smoking with the help of hypnosis. As a licensed hypnotist, I work with anyone struggling with an issue. Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's smoking or weight loss. Well, I've lost 35 pounds myself and kept it off using hypnosis. And now I'm offering a beta package and I'm really excited about this beta launch because it means big savings for you and it means I get the opportunity to work with people like you. I have an opening for one more person so act now. If you want to lose weight I've created a video to help you called how to lose weight for good. Watch the short video and then book a quick call with me and you can jump right in now and you'll get 50% off the price of the package so go to mindfulnessmode.com slash weight loss and if you just want to contact me directly email me bruce at mindfulnessmode.com i look forward to hearing from you now back to the show yeah one of the interesting things that i thought was fascinating in your book you were talking about positive affirmations and of course they can help people a lot but you said they can actually prison you you as much as negative thoughts can so can you just kind of explain that a little bit to us yeah so you know I, when i first started all this i was very much into like louise hay and like and and i do think that positive affirmations if used correctly can be a temporary tool for some people if you just have someone that's extremely caught in just negative thinking just replacing you know, negative thoughts and setting that intention for a positive thought. I think that it can be very helpful. The problem comes in when you use positive thinking to avoid mm. real life, you know, and, and, and in the spiritual world, you might see it a lot. It's kind of like the hippie kind of thing, yeah. you know, and it's like, uh, like, you know, it's like, 
not everything is nice. You know, not everything is, is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't tell someone whose child has cancer, like, well, this is just an opportunity for you to learn. Cause they're you know, like that. That's offensive. Yes. No, it's not an opportunity. This is an extremely painful, horrible thing that's happening, you yeah. know, and, and that needs to be respected. So it can't just be like, well, things are going to be okay. And, and, uh, you know, it's all part of the plan and, you know, all these things that people, people mean well, you know, when they, when they try to do this positive stuff, but it, sometimes it can be very offensive, you know, if, and there was a book, um, Bearing the Unbearable, and she talks a lot about um, people, like, well, it's about loss, mm-hmm. you know, losing people. And it talks a lot about the people that try to make you feel better, you know, and, and the things that they say and how offensive and hurtful they can be, you know, like, like if I think there was like, it's all part of God's plan, like, oh yeah, killing my child was all part of God's plan. Like, thank you. You know, like, like, so it's like, it can, it can be offensive. And, And I don't think it's about making it better. I think it's about learning to be with. And I think the the people that are the most helpful in situations like loss or cancer are the people that can just sit there with you and be in pain and be afraid with you and not not try to like brush it off or or distract you or try to make it better, um, but to be able to just to be there with it, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I think that's absolutely true. And being a, a good listener and having empathy like you said, it's so important. You talk about addiction and how addiction isn't just limited to alcohol and drugs and bad habits and those negative things that we immediately think of. Can you tell us about that? Some of the other kinds of addictions that can be a challenge. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, the biggest one for all of us is addicted to our self, our identity about who we think we are, you know, and, and you can see now the addiction to Republican, the addic- addiction to Democrat, the yeah. addiction to my views and, and what I believe. And um, I don't know how true this quote is, but I've heard it used before that the Buddha once said people who hold on to their beliefs go around the world annoying people. <laughs> I don't know if he said it exactly like that. Um, but yeah, and, and just little, you know, behaviors, habits. Uh, ways of responding or reacting rather to people, to situations. Maybe you just react to your mother a certain way every time you see her and, and you're just addicted to that way. And even if, the, you know, even if your mother came and talked to you a different way or wasn't meaning anything because you're so addicted to that reactivity, it's just going to come up anyway. You know, so there's a lot of things we're, we're addicted to just even just like I'm unlovable, life's unsafe, uh, whatever kind of deep-seated beliefs that we've held on to or that we've kind of a- accumulated over the years, um, we get so addicted to it and it's hard to let go. I mean, it this, is. It, it's simple. Like just, just let, like think of like a drug addiction. Just don't do drugs anymore. Like it's, so it's simple, but because of the attachment, because of the driving factors and everything else involved, it's just, it's really a, near impossible sometimes yeah. to let go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not so simple. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm well aware of how many workshops you do and lectures and all the the different 
work that you're constantly doing, not to mention you've been on so many silent retreats. And then I'm reading away in the book and, and you're talking about how you deliver potato chips and you're telling that story. Uh, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you just must not have had a dull moment in your life at all. I don't know how long ago you've transitioned from that job, but tell us about that. Oh God. Yeah. Well, actually my uncle got me the job right when my, my son was uh, about to be born. I obviously needed benefits. I kind of had to step it up a little and get a real job Yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of fell into my lap at the right time. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh interesting job. I mean, it's early hours, you know, mm-hmm. some days I wake up at two 30 for work. Most days now, luckily, I wake up at four, except for Fridays. That's the two thirty wake up, um, and they can be long days—nine, yeah. ten-hour days, mm-hmm. you know. And then I come home to three kids and my wife uh, to snow. Yes. <laughs> we just got a lot of snow, yeah. um, you know. But then I'm doing private training. I'm trying to run these workshops, trying to write a third book, and. Um, building a program at a, a gym nearby for mental fitness training and I, uh, writing music. That's a big part of my life too. So it's like, I'm trying to, you know, do everything, you know, take care of my family and my responsibilities, but also, you know, f- follow my passions because this is my one chance as far as I know. I mean, I'm Buddhist, but I don't know if I believe in reincarnation. I'm to be, to be quite honest, I'm not sure. I'll let you know if, if I, you know, when that happens. But do you like to eat potato chips? Oh, I love potato chips. Yeah. Everyone thinks because I meditate that I, that I, uh, that means that I eat perfectly. I I don't know why everyone assumes that. I mean, I love cookies. I'm, we make cookies for my kids and then I end up eating almost all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, eating potato chips can be a very mindful experience. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yes. If you eat them slow, I've been teaching my kids to eat slow. And, and uh, my son always reminds me, he's like, oh, eat this slow. It tastes so much better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But it's uh, easy not to eat them slowly. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. But you know what? The, the job has taught me a lot because at first I was very, uh, many years ago, I was very much like, I'm not working a full-time job ever. This is my life and blah, blah, blah. I'm, no one's going to tell me when I can go on vacation and, you know, and and getting up at this time and doing things that I didn't want to do. And, you know, there's a lot of very miserable, angry people in, in the grocery world, like the receivers, the grocery managers, sometimes people are just mean because that's their position and they can be. So it's actually taught me a lot about like, you know, how, how can I still have ease when I'm doing things I don't want to do. It comes back to that whole like washing the dishes thing. And, and, you know, how can I, you know, let go of my resistance and, and just be with this. And now, you know, now it's this, and how do I make the best out of this? How do I, you know, I kind of break it down to, to three different things. It's how do I cause the least amount of suffering with my words and my actions? Um, you know, so if someone's being rude to me, my practice as well, how can I not add to the suffering of this moment? Then the second part is, well, how can I ease some of the suffering? You know, and I, I've met people along the way at the job that I definitely have impacted, you know, and, and, and brought some ease to and maybe taught somebody about meditation who probably would have never walked into a Zen temple or, you know, something like that. Um, and then how do I learn to, to open to life as it is? I mean, that's a big part of my practice is how can I expand myself enough to be 
to be tolerant even of this, right? Expand my window of tolerance so that I can be at ease even when I'm doing this, which I don't want to do or don't like, you know, how do I let go of that want? You don't have to let go of not liking things. There's plenty of things in life that you're not going to like, and you don't need to like them. Like there's plenty of people that are really annoying and difficult. You don't have to like them, right? But you also don't have to like shut them out of your heart. It doesn't mean you need to go be friends with them, but to, to still be able to hold that person as a human being in compassion, because who knows what's going on in their life. And, you know, my 13 plus whatever years of practice, I'm getting to that point where when I deal with a difficult person, yes, I have the reactivity that everybody else does where you want to flip them off or do whatever. But there's this other part that says, where does it hurt? And, and like, what can I do? How can I help you? And that's something I'm noticing in the, the past few years, like where I normally get angry at people and just like say, screw them. Um, I still have that. But it's more like, yes, screw them. But like, what, what are you experiencing that is making you this way? And, and how do you not see the suffering that you're causing, that you're continuing to cause other people, that you're, you know, you're, you're encouraging patterns of reactivity that are just going to make you feel worse and worse every single day? Like, so, you know, trying to find skillful ways to talk to these people. And, you know, some of the people that, you know, there are some receivers that people in my company, they all hate and they can't stand. And I've been able to make friends with those people Great. just because, you know, I can find ways of talking to them. And at the very least, they know that I'm not going to cause more problems and give them attitude, sure. like, even if they're being that way to me. That So in their head, they know, you know, and I feel like that slowly kind of chips away at them and they, they, they come around, you know, and yeah. they say, all right, yeah, this guy's a good guy. He's not just some, you know, guy who's going to give me attitude or tell me what to do. It's, he, you know, he's all right. <laughs> well, your website is author Mark Van Buren, A-U-T-H-O-R, regular spelling for author, and then Mark, M-A-R-K, Van, V-A-N, and Buren, B-U-R-E-N, Mark vanburen.com so yeah one more time author mark vanburen.com what can we expect to find there mark checking out your website sure so right now uh, it has a couple of couple of things we got some guided meditations um on there a three minute five minute ten minute and twenty minute that's all free you can just go right to the site it's on there and you know just do one a day and then your meditation practice is taken care of there's also videos. I used to do a ton of videos um, called Weekly Wisdom when I had a little more time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have all the videos up there on there if anybody wants to watch them. I do have, uh, you know, the links to any future events I'm doing. Right now it's a little slow because of COVID. You know, there I don't have as many weekly classes as I used to sure. or <clears throat> in-person things. Um, you know, you can book a private session with me. I'm always willing and, and open to meeting new people and helping, especially if they're suffering, if there's some way that I can help relieve that or, mm -hmm. you know, help people stay motivated to practice, which is probably the hardest part of meditation is staying consistent with it. Right. Um, you know, that's where having a coach or uh, I'm sure, as you know, yes. uh, you hold them accountable, mm -hmm. you know, so we can hold you accountable and we can make sure you're consistent. We can, work with, you know, patterns that you may 
or that may be causing some struggle or suffering in your life. And uh, there's that. There's uh, the links to my books. And what else I got on there? I think that's it. Uh, pretty, pretty much it, you know? Yeah, well, I um, want to ask you about bullying because I work in the field of bullying prevention and have for some time. Do you have a story you can share with us? Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were a bully. Maybe some kind of story where mindfulness would have made a difference. Right, right. Uh, honestly, I think I've been in both positions. It started out uh, being b- bullied, um, and that kind of it kind of made me a person that w- I can very easily shut myself off, you know, like as a protection mechanism. And and that's something that I've had to work with because as soon as like if I get in an argument with somebody, like I can shut off. So it doesn't matter what you say to me; it's not going to hurt because I can. I have that ability based on my childhood, but then I can come back and, you know, it's like, you're not going to hurt me because I'm, I've cut myself off, but you know, I'm going to be the one that's going to hurt you. And I'm going to, you know, that's, that's the way that I, that I had grown up to like to keep myself safe. So um, that was definitely something that I had to work with. Um, But I think mindfulness, you know, for me, it's realizing that the other person is a person just like you. Right. And, you know, when you're younger and you're like making fun of somebody or doing something, I don't think you, you make that connection about how much possibly they can be hurt, you know, until like many, many years later you talk to them and, or you, you know, hear the stories of people that, you know, like cried themselves to sleep every night just because of some stupid comment. And it's like, I, you know, I guess I've, I've definitely become more sensitive and that stuff bothers me a lot more. I just heard of someone today, their daughter, somebody was like looking at their belly and saying, oh, you have a fat belly. And this is second grade, mm. you know, and that's this is where patterns can be formed that can turn into addiction or eating disorder or just like a way of viewing themselves that can ruin the rest of their lives. Yes, that's right. And I don't think we realize, you know, and, and look, I'm... I'm also, I have a pretty messed up sense of humor. I grew up with Family Guy. I grew up with South Park. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think you need to find a balance. I th- at least this is my, my view of it. You need to find a balance. You need to find when things are appropriate. Like my friends and I make fun of each other all the time, but it's in good fun. Sure. You know, and, and that's just, that's the way that we, we grew up. And it's yeah. just like, we make jokes about each other and, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, um, so I think, you know, like all things, it, it takes mindfulness to know when something's appropriate, when it's not, um, who you can make this joke around and who you can and and who's getting hurt by things and who's not. And, and if somebody's you know being harmed by something you're saying, I think that's worth investigating because there's enough harm in the world. There's enough, enough suffering in the world. So, um, you know, and go, it goes back to those three things. How do I cause the least amount of suffering? How can I reduce the suffering that's already here? And how can I learn to, to open up to, to life as it is so that I can do those first two without getting swept away all the time? Yeah, that's true. I, I agree. I, I'm going to ask you five quick answer questions. Okay, so just okay. 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person that has been a very powerful mindfulness influence for you? Uh, Pema Chodron, definitely Jack Cornfield, Ezra Beta. Um, oh my God, there's so many. Uh, I'm gonna just stick with those because they're popping into my head. But 
Uh, I mean, Pema Chodron's huge. She was like yeah. really just so authentic. Yes. And she talked about suffering and the spirituality. They kind of talk a lot about, you know, joy and compassion, but she always would talk about suffering. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Sorry, 30 seconds. Yeah, I think, no, I think you're right. And I love how you use a lot of their quotes in your books, you know, and you have Thich Nhat Hanh in there as well. You know, you use yes. so many quotes. Anyway, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, the emotions are still the same. They come, they go. Um, but I'm able to relate more skillfully and wholesomely to them most of the time. Not always. Um, but there's definitely more space less identification with them. Uh, and yeah, I would just say more space is really the best way to put it, that I can be with them without always getting swept away. I don't want you to think I'm <laughs> some Buddha because I'm not, but. Well, yeah. you seem pretty Buddha-like. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Well, uh, you know, uh, it, maybe for certain meditations and things like that. But the breath, I mean, I find the breath to be a great anchor. The body's a great anchor just in general. Yeah. And the breath is always just right there. The, the body's always in the present moment. The breath is always in the present moment. So to, to just feel yourself breathing, you're already connected to your life. You're already connected to reality uh, beyond thinking, beyond judgment, you know? So it's a great uh, anchor. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, if you could recommend a book other than your awesome books, A Fool's Guide to Actual Happiness and Your Life is Meditation, what book comes to mind on the topic of mindfulness? Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. Yeah. Again, it, it kind of really lays it out there, you know, and I think we don't come to spirituality because things are perfectly together. We come because things are falling apart or seem like they are or have completely fell apart already. So um, I just appreciate her book. I, I, and just, um, I appreciate the authenticity and she doesn't pretend to be anything special, even though she is, um, she, you know, and she's like, I still get mad. And like, I love that. You know, yeah. I love when teachers can be like, cause that's such a, a relief to me. It's like, a, it's like, oh, 13 years and I'm still getting caught in my anger. It's like, oh, so is Pema Chodron. Yeah. <laughs> she's a nun. And that's all she does for her life. So there's still hope for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're very, it's very inspirational to read your books because they're so approachable and just so many stories. You're a great communicator to communicate so many down to earth stories <laughs> that make it like, oh, okay, I get that. That's yeah, really cool. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I have been on Insight Timer since. I think the beginning, I mean, I have logs going back to like to my college days, 2000, when was that? 2010 to 2000, maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. Um, for me, the app is more for timer, for the timer, um, you know, like just to have a bell at the beginning, a bell at the end, and it logs all your sessions. So you can see like, you know, I think I've gone like, I don't know, 700 and 80 days without missing a day, you know, yeah. like, so it gives you little stars if you need a sticker, you know, to, yeah. to keep meditating. Uh, but then it tracks uh, like how many hours or how many minutes I'm like, I don't know, since with this timer, it's like 97,000 minutes I've spent in meditation. It's like, Oh my God, you know, uh, still got 
a lot more to go, but uh, that's what I like about it. But they, you know, they, I'm trying to get more involved with them. They have, you know, live events and I'm trying to get some meditations on there and live events. Um, but again, it's trying to fit the time or find the time with everything else I'm doing, but uh, that's good. I like headspace too. I just like that guy's voice. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about the way that guy talks. I don't know if he's Australian or, or what, but I just, I really enjoy headspace too. They have a Netflix series now um, called headspace. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. It's like a 20 minute episodes. It has a little talk with some meditation. It's really nice, especially to get like, you, you know, your kids or something involved in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, I have been really, really excited to get a chance to talk to you because I enjoyed your books and I think Mindful Tribe, I think you will too. And, uh, you know, it's it's just been great. Do you have any final words of advice? Like, let's say someone's listening and they're just kind of thinking, well, you know, I've listened to a few of these episodes about mindfulness. How could I kind of move to the next step? What can I do to just be a little, feel a little bit more content in my life and feel as though things are working for me? What's your advice, Mark? I'd probably say just keep showing up. And keep doing the practice as hard as it is at times where you're just sitting there in meditation and you're just screaming inside and you don't want to sit there. You're waiting for the bell. Like just keep showing up. And, and, and I think over time you start to learn that your practice, your heart, your mind can, can hold anything. It can hold you when you're sick, when you're healthy, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're you know, grieving, when you're joyful. And you know just the practice of showing up and sitting on that cushion every day leaks into your daily life. And then it's like, I'm willing to show up whether it's going to be a bad day at work or an easy day. I'm willing to show up whether, you know, I'm diagnosed with an illness or I wake up and I'm healthy. Uh, you know, whether I'm out with friends or at the you know bedside of someone in hospice, like that I can show up fully. I can engage fully and I can use every, everything in my life as a way to cultivate wisdom, compassion, and and loving kindness so mark thanks for that advice and mindful <laughs> tribe the website is author markvanburen.com thank you so much have a great rest of your day mark thanks for having me you too you're welcome bye now hey mindful tribe thanks for listening for subscribing for reviewing the show on apple Podcasts, and thanks to erica flint's cascade hypnosis center for being our valued sponsor hey erica we really appreciate you and erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis and i know that because i am a graduate of her program now if you're a healer or a coach or a counselor or someone who just loves helping people Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com. And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks, maybe lose weight, maybe quit smoking, maybe it's something else, I would be so thrilled to work with you. And as you've already heard on the show, I'm doing an exciting new beta launch. I've got room for three people. So reach out to me. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk for a free short conversation about what I can do to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk. 
So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>